Welcome to Indie Insider, presented by Black Shell Media. This is the weekly show where we speak with indie video game developers, publishers, and industry professionals about their projects, their stories, and their advice to others. I'm your host, Logan Schultz, and today on the show I sit down with Nathan Meunier, the successful indie author, games journalist, and developer of This Book is a Dungeon. Not only do I pick Nathan's brain for his thoughts on the indie video game scene, but we discuss the future of VR, his personal story, and he even shares an exclusive announcement about his next project. Before we get to the interview, however, a couple of quick notes. This show is presented by Blackshell Media, a publishing and marketing firm working to help indie developers reach their goals and new audiences. The company also strives to offer unique, inspiring, and even educational services for developers, publishers, and gamers alike, which is why we get to bring this show to you. Speaking of which, be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes and other podcast services across the internet. And please, leave a review. If you'd like to be a part of the show and share your thoughts, questions, or even request a professional to bring on the podcast, send me an email at logan at blackshellmedia.com or reach out on Twitter at Logan A. Schultz. Finally, special thanks to Nathan for joining us on the show and Benjamin Tiso over at bensound.com for allowing us to use his song, Going Higher, in the show. And now, Nathan Menier. Indie Insider today. I am with Nathan Menier. Nathan, how's it going? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks, Logan, for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for being on. Um, for those who might not know, Nathan, tell us just a little bit about yourself and why you are on Indie Insider. Yeah, um, I come from a journalism background, and uh, more specifically, I used to be a games journalist who <laughs> I've, I've written for a lot of the different uh, old school magazines that no longer exist, and. Um, Everything from like Nintendo Power and Xbox Magazine and all that good stuff over to like um, IGN and GameSpot. And uh, I spent quite a bit of time over the past uh, six, seven, eight years or so specifically focusing on kind of covering games um, in the games industry for lots and lots of different publications. But also um, I've always been sort of an indie game enthusiast from the very beginning. Um, so that's kind of like always been something that's driven sort of my interest and focus uh, throughout the time that I was writing about games and um, I do all kinds of different types of writing. I'm a, a freelance writer still. I, f- I do writing for like companies and whatnot and um, and I've written quite a few books. I do self-publishing and authorship uh, but now I do game development and I spend quite a bit of time uh, working on assorted indie projects. So um, my professional career sort of like pulled together all these different facets of writing and marketing and self-publishing and creating and finding ways to like get your work out into the world. Um, and I'm also fiercely independent. So a lot of the work I do is very much, uh, you know, on the nonfiction fronts geared towards helping other people like writers or developers or whatnot, um, you know, learn and adapt and improve their own world, but also just like trying to figure out how to do things myself and just dive in. Uh, and learn. I'm always learning. Um, and I think these are all great lessons you can sort of apply to the world of uh, making games, especially if you're small teams or individual people. Yeah, I mean, you want to talk about an indie mindset. I mean, that's the way to do it. You're just kind of pulling everything together into kind of creating your own thing, your own life, your own career. That's awesome. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Uh, tell me just a little bit about how you got into this industry in the first place. 
where did this all start? I know you talked a little bit about being a journalist, but where does that come from? Yeah, I mean, um, in college and high school, I studied uh, journalism, but, but I was also pretty much, you know, majoring in like playing in loud bands and drinking beer and doing other things that a lot of college kids do. So, excellent. Um, yep. I, you know, out of college, I knew I wanted to pursue uh, writing because I had a passion for it. But even, you know, even along the while, I, I kind of always was more geared towards entertainment focused writing than like hard news. Um, yet I still managed to, for my first gig out right out of the gates, uh, landed a job as a reporter for a small weekly newspaper. And that was sort of like a life experience, um, sort of sink or swim, just dive in. Uh, and that was all a really great kind of a learning experience being working as a journalist uh, covering local government and controversies and some very, very difficult things at, t at different times, like fires and whatnot. Um, but then eventually I, I wanted to, I mean, I've always been a gamer. I've always been like a sort of a, reading nerd and uh you know play a lot of games and read about them so at the time i was very interested in like figuring out a way to make money or make enough of a living that i could like write about video games or do something with video games uh in a way that was like you know able to generate some income but also feel like i was you know doing a job and um you know being able to enjoy this thing i have you know a passion for um and it, that kind of came about in a weird way where I ended up moving out of state uh, and working remotely for the newspaper I was working at, um, but then started doing some freelancing on the side. And because I just wanted to, it wasn't just about making money, obviously, it was finding, and a lot of the things I've done over the years has been about finding that next level of like, what is something that I'm passionate about that I want to learn how to do more um, and, and make that a part of my professional world in a way that's not just like a hobby. Um, so... I started pitching uh, game websites and you know, trying to do freelancing articles on the side, just as a way at first to kind of build some experience and make a little bit of money. But then after doing that successfully for a while, I kind of gained momentum and got to the point where I was like ready to make the plunge. Um, I was generating quite a bit of income and like more than half of my income was from freelancing at the time. So I was able to kind of quit my day job as a newspaper reporter working remotely at the, that point. Uh, and just dive full on into the world of like covering games. Um, this was a while back, I'm forgetting the off, off the top of my head, I can't think of exact year, but um, yeah, I just dove dove in, and that free time that I had from being not having to have a day job at the same time was able to let me focus on getting more and more gigs, and that's how I eventually started working my way into magazines and like GamePro and Nintendo Power and IGN, and working my way up to all these great you know different kinds of publications I've always dreamed about uh, being able to see my byline in, and um, that's kind of what led me to the path of, of professionally writing and. Um, but all the while, sort of this, this is weird. It's a very weird kind of conglomeration of different elements. Um, rewind 10 years prior to that, I was starting to make indie games in Game Maker Studio when it was like version 4.1 or something r ridiculous, like way, way back. Um, before I even got any jobs in the games industry or, or writing or even journalism, I was like, hey, I'm looking for a job in the meantime. Let me download this cool piece of software and see what I can do with it. Mm -hmm. So accidentally i had a little bit of a sort of a game development background without even really thinking about it um but of course i abandoned it because at the time there was no digital distribution there was no i mean it was like shareware you could like put a game on a floppy disk and sell it in a bag with photocopied you know cover art at a mom and pop shop for like five bucks that was the options for for me at the time at like living in rural vermont um when i was getting started so that wasn't an option and I ended up sort of like pushing that to the side and focusing more on my writing, which was kind of my professional focus. But um, since then, a couple of years ago, I sort of, 
um, accidentally started a game company. And then I sort of accidentally also started making <laughs> games on the side. And doing that forced me to give up uh, my role as being, uh, being on the review team at GameSpot. Couldn't do freelance reviews anymore for them, obviously, because I was you know, making games. And uh, pretty much at that point, I started transitioning out of the professional games journalism realm just because, um, you know, when you're making games, it's really hard to, you know, that draw that line, uh, you know, it's an industry. You kind of have to pick one or pick the other. You can't really do both without catching fire somewhere down the line. So um, I freelance full-time now, but I've been making games uh, on the side for the past two and a half years. Um, both I have, I have an indie studio called Touch Fight Games. We put out a couple things. We're working on uh, a game for a PlayStation coming up soon. But um, meanwhile, I've been doing kind of my own quirky, very personal, very specific niched uh, game project sort of in the darker RPG horror kind of front that uh, also kind of tie into writing too in different ways. So that's uh, kind of a rambly version of like how I've gotten to kind of the point where I am now, now which is uh, an interesting place to be at this point. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. it sounds like you've kind of been a little bit all over the place, but congratulations on all of that and, and where you are now. That's excellent. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I, I want to pull out just a couple of things from that story that I think <laughs> uh, we can really dive into just a little bit. Yeah. Um, so you spent all this time building this career as a freelance games journalist. Yeah. Um, and obviously, leading into that, you had a full-time job that you then left. You kind of said when you were making enough money to really dive into freelance full-time. There are a lot of you know indie devs out there that have to go through the same thing, right? They uh, are working a full-time job and they're making their game in Game Maker or you know in Unity at night on their computer. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about what it was like to really dive into the deep end, leave your job, and and commit to what you were doing, this kind of freelance project? Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because life is so cyclical. I'm kind of at that point now again. <laughs> so <laughs> rewinding back, like working full time, uh, you know, I was doing something that I was interested in, but you know, it wasn't silly. It was paying the bills to an extent, but it wasn't like a gig that I really. You know, it, it, after a while, I felt like, you know, the pay wasn't that great. And it was kind of long hours. and It was very demanding and, and pretty high stress. And pretty soon I got to the point where I was like, you know, I just really, um, you know, it came from making the trans transition to freelance came from this desire to, like, uh, pursue my passion in a way that also would align with, you know, th the necessity of having to pay the bills and, uh, you know, put food on the table. Um, you know, I wanted to find something that was fulfilling in the work. Uh, you know, find work that was fulfilling to me um, that also aligned with like my interests. Um, and that's can be a really strong motivator when it comes to like making a career change. And, and in the traditional like nine to five work world, people are often like, you know, moving from one job to the next every couple of years. And it's just like, eh, all right, I don't want to work here anymore or whatever. Let me just move or find some other job. And or they stay at the same company for a long time. And it tends to be like not the most exciting kind of work. And they rely on like, you know, hobbies and stuff on their home personal time as to find fulfillment. Well, um, for me, and I know a lot of entrepreneurial folks and a lot of game developers in particular, like have a different kind of mindset where it's like idle time is just doesn't work. <laughs> it's like, I have to fill every second of my waking time with something productive or interesting or engaging. Um, you know, and so it's like making the, the transition from like a day job to like a passion career where you kind of become your own boss, uh, your own business. I mean, basically doing, going to freelance, I was becoming a business owner. Like I was creating my own business, uh, a writing business where, you know, I'm taking contract work and writing articles for people. And I see a lot of like uh, indie game developers kind of doing that route 
in a sense from like either they have a day job and they're making games on the side or they run a studio but half of the time they're doing contract work for other companies right um and it's it's tough because like there's that balance you want to strike between you know being able to make ends meet financially but also like be able to be creative and create your next game and pursue those kind of passion projects and uh, it's definitely can be a struggle at times and right now i'm sort of in that weird transitional period again where like i'm working free like freelancing has kind of become my day job <laughs> uh in that same sense is like i'm i enjoy doing it and it pays the bills and it's good money but like um you know i'm, I'm hungering for that next thing and spending the past two and a half years of digging deeper into the world of game development initially was kind of rocky and challenging but like it finally got to the point in this past year where it's really kind of started to click in terms of like um, constantly learning and improving my ability like when i started making games two and a half years ago i was using game makers drag and drop i didn't know anything about actual coding um i i was pretty good at pixel art because i used to do pixel art comics and stuff back in the day oh, okay. um and i'm also a musician so i've done music and so i can do some of the different elements of games but like i didn't know how to do much beyond like some really basic stuff um and that can be really frustrating we're just trying to learn like you want to make something but you don't know how to do it um so part of my process was just to learn and adapt and soak up as much as possible and obviously prototype and experiment um, but like this past year, I've kind of transitioned into GML coding almost entirely. Um, and I've gotten to the point where like I start to think more in code um, and I'm not a coder. I just, but it's like out of necessity. It's like, I want to be creative and have a hands-on role in the things I'm making. So it's like, I'm like picking up all these different other abilities and tools, which is sort of a really important process for anyone who wants to kind of make that transition from, you know, you have a day job and you have some skills, maybe they align with your development, maybe they're just totally something you don't enjoy doing and have nothing to do with games, and you're making games on the side. But like to make that plunge towards, um, you know, being independent game developer being, you know, an indie or being, you know, someone who's making a part of a small company, or even just a solo dev making projects like you need to kind of focus and have that drive and be able to um, you know learn constantly and improve your skills to the point where you can start to uh, you know rein in the different factors that you need to make it a reality and that's kind of been my big push is now I feel like I'm getting to the point where I can make games the more I have more control over the kind of things I want to create and I can see and then implement them um, but it wasn't always that case so it's like you kind of have to learn in baby steps until you get to the point where it's like you're ready to take the plunge and I've got half a dozen projects in the works, including some other big ones. And, you know, I know that I can't just quit my day job to make games. And I, and I having, you know, made the transition from a day job to freelancing and that whole sort of like independent uh, uncertainty of like, am I, you know, when you're a freelancer, you never know when your next paycheck's going to arrive. And right. same, it's the same thing with developers though. Like you put it, even if you have a fairly successful game, you might have enough income to be like, wow, awesome. I can pay off this bill or I can go on a vacation or whatever. Uh, you know, but a lot of games, there's so many games out now that, you know, discoverability is a big challenge and even a game that does fairly well uh you know it can be hard to make a living on until you know you you build up enough uh, of a critical mass either in terms of multiple game sales or uh notoriety if you you have a game maybe you have five projects that come out and none of them really stick but then you have that one that you know takes off a little bit and gives you a bit more visibility you know, like you it's sort of it's this whole process of building and growing and like you know peaks and valleys like you're gonna have challenging elements and that's where i'm at now it's like i'm trying to make that transition where i can hopefully you know build out a niche around the types of games i'm enjoying to making be known for those types of games 
um, and also you know learn as I'm doing it and then get to the point where hopefully some point down in the near future I'll be able to transition from freelancing full-time into maybe freelancing part-time you know just to have the extra income trickling in and then be able to spend more of my days working on games because I really I find that really to be extremely fulfilling and you know when I'm freelancing now it's like I, I enjoy the work but I'm also thinking like man I want to be implementing that save system I want to put <laughs> I want to build out this you know map map algorithm you know like I want to start putting in these things or I want to art up those next you know grizzly monster uh, pixel art things so um, it's hard to stay focused when you're trying to make that transition but uh, it's sort of like the nature of the entrepreneurial beast and often of you know indie game developers too well, you kind of just hit on my next question. So I think this is a great transition is you say it's kind of hard to focus when you're doing that. How do you self-motivate? I mean, you, well, you, uh, gosh, what were you saying? You uh, didn't know how to code at all, right? And now you are, right? Yeah. And it's, how do you motivate yourself to constantly push forward and constantly do that? I think that's something that so many indie devs and, you know, people in general just struggle with. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. It's, it's, it's not easy. Um. It, you kind of have to, I mean, there's there's definitely some common things I see across a lot of different people who, I mean, if you have an entrepreneurial mindset, which sounds weird if you're like until you kind of realize what that entails, but like it's, you, you have to be very driven. And I'm the kind of person where I'm always wanting, like I'm not uh, comfortable sitting still. Like obviously I have ADD, which also <laughs> kind of ties into that. So, okay, uh, sure. Yeah. So that's, you know, having focus issues and having, uh, you know, I have a hard time focusing to begin with. So that's why I kind of have to be doing a zillion things at once. Otherwise I get, you know, irritable and bored and I can't, you know, do what I'm doing. <laughs> um, and you know, that has its ups and downs and it's a challenge I struggle with. Um, but I also have a drive to like constantly learn. So, um, I'm always trying to improve my abilities in doing something, either whether it's writing or learning how to code better. Um, and I always I constantly set goals. And I find that setting goals uh, and trying to like have a target to constantly aim for has been across whatever I've done has been one of the reasons I've been able to maintain a level of like success and that I'm always pushing forward towards that next thing. And sometimes, you know, you, you fall off the path or you, you, you struggle or whatnot. But when you see a target and especially if it aligns with something that you have a very strong, like emotional response to like, you know, it's not just, Oh, I want to make a game. It's like, I want to make a game and earn enough money that I can, you know, not pay rent for six months. Like that's a, that's a, a goal to shoot for. Like, uh, for me, it's like, you know, we've got a house that needs a lot of work and, uh, you know, it's like, I'm like, I want to make enough money from a couple games where I can pay off some of my house and like, you know, knock out some debt. Like that's, a, that's a, a pretty solid goal to shoot for. And it, it's a motivating goal is I think the underlying point I'm trying to get at is something that motivates you beyond just, eh, I'll make a game, and put it out there. Like you need to have that drive to push yourself to, uh, keep working and keep moving forward. And you know, that could be artistic. It could be like, maybe you just want to make a game. Maybe you just want to get a game out there. And like, that's a good starting goal. Um, but throughout my career, I've all, I've started with smaller goals. It's like I'll, I'll aim very high, like a distant goal. Like okay, ultimately, right now, I'd love to be able to make my full time living just making games, independently, doing exactly what I want to do, and be able to you know financially sustain myself doing that. That's a big long term goal for me that I, I'm aiming for, and it's like way off on the horizon. Hopefully sooner than later, but you never know. Sure. But in the meantime, what I do is I set these short term goals, like. Okay, so my next goal is to finish this, this, and this project I'm working on, and then beyond that, I'll be like, okay, if one of those projects sells enough to pay off this bill, that'll make me super happy. Or, you know, if this game gets this many positive reviews, like that'll be really great. Or, hell, just having like three or four games out within a certain kind of niche that I'm building to help distinguish myself as a developer that does that makes these particular types of unique, odd, strange games that align with 
my personality and things like that's you know building my brand is you know, another aspect of that goal setting and sort of fulfilling those goals and then um, it's often like a stepladder you're basically like setting small goals achieving a goal and and the process of achieving a goal feels good and it helps you stay motivated to set that next goal and move up the ladder and that's what's happened that's how i managed to go from like freelancing for like you know 10 bucks an article as a freelancer to making a couple hundred bucks an article to like getting be able to like travel and stuff and and make a full-time career and make way better money than i ever imagined freelancing than i than i did as like a crappy day job so um that's how that's applied in the freelance world and it's i'm trying to take a lot of the same principles and apply it in my kind of creative game dev realm too and like I'm very determined and stubborn about things. So like, yes, I like to experiment and see what happens. And I learn, like I try, try something and if it fails, okay, then I've learned something from that. How can I apply it to my next project? And um, yeah, it's, this is all sort of all over the place, but like these are different elements that kind of play into this process of like, you know, figuring out, uh, you know, working your way into towards a goal and a target and direction. And kind of staying on track and staying motivated to do things so like learning how to do something in gml the stuff i can do like i can think up a, a system now like okay i need to create an inventory like i maybe off the top of my head don't know how to code that but if i sit down and start typing out code and i and get a piece of paper i can sit down and like within a couple minutes have a very rough prototype in my brain and then sit there and just code it out and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but like that's something i couldn't do like six months ago sure and it's just a matter of like what do i need to do how do i do it um and then you leveling up your abilities to the point where like now I can sit down when I think of a system, I, I know just enough about how to like build it. I mean, I'm not an amazing coder. I'm not, I'm not a, like, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care about learning C plus plus or whatever. You know, like I don't, it's not about like, I need the prestige of being able to do this. It's about how do I get this idea out of my head and make it a thing that exists in this game and then polish it to where if I feel good about it and then build on it from there. Like, so learning these different things, uh, learning new tricks with Game Maker, like how to optimize my game so it runs on the PS Vita instead of crashing like the first time I tried to boot <laughs> it up, like stuff like that. Like you're, you're trying to like set different layers of goals and every time you achieve one of those, it gives some positive feedback, like a game, like you get a you know, reward for playing well in a level and then like that makes you feel good. So you want to push towards the next goal. It's like setting achievements for your professional game development, <laughs> development world, essentially. Uh, and that's often how I'm able to kind of keep pushing forward, even though there's definitely days with any professional, with any entrepreneur where you just feel like, Ugh, I just want to crawl into a hole and forget everything. <laughs> like you're a driven guy. It's impressive. I, yeah, I'm feeling it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's talk about how. Okay. Here's my question. Okay. <laughs> how the hell do you accidentally start your own game company? <laughs> um. Yeah, I can, that's a that's a pretty quick story. Um, maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. The, <laughs> I, you know, I I never got. So some people get into games journalism because it's like they want to make games, but they don't know how. So this is like the next easiest thing. That wasn't me. Like I started off intentionally being like, I want to write about. At first, I was like, I want to write in general, like as a profession. Then it was like, um, you know, I want to write about stuff that interests me personally beyond like covering public, you know, events for town government and stuff. Like that's not super interesting to me. I want to write about like music and arts and creativity and people that are making cool stuff and video games which was like a big always been a big interest to me uh even as you know a little kid when i got my first nintendo power issue um so it's oh shoot no now i'm literally going off track um yeah accidentally starting a studio <laughs> um no you're good i love so, it so i That's didn't right. get into game journalism with the whole idea of like i want to become a game developer um it just got to the point where i I had worked my way up into all the different like I, I hit the goals i was aiming for and that's that's like 
a weird place when you get to the point where there's like nowhere else to go upwards. Like I, I, I was writing for IGN, I was writing for GameSpot, I was writing, I had written for like Nintendo Power and like pretty much all of the game magazines I have ever wanted to have ever seen my byline in, um, I had. And it wasn't just a matter of that, it was a matter of like places were closing, the industry was shifting. It's like I wasn't ma- able to make as much money doing what I was doing to like maintain. So I started to think about like, okay, well, um, you know, I'll keep doing this, but like I kind of started to hunger for something different. It's like, and I, and I, I tend to not stand still for very long. So it's like, you know, I get, I, I hit some goal and then I'm like already looking for the next thing to aim for. Um, so I've always kind of thought about potentially tinkering with the game maker again. Cause I play, I was, like I mentioned, I used it like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, whatever, when it was first early on, uh, had just come out. And, um, so I was like, Oh, maybe I could like play around with that. I've always been sort of interested in it, but it wasn't like, Hey, now I need to make games because that was my whole goal to begin with. Um, and locally where I live, it's kind of a small rural community and, um, you kind of, you know, you get close knit groups of friends and you run in circles of people. And so I, I kind of gravitated towards sort of like the artsier, weirder folks in town. <laughs> sure. Uh, so we made a lot of, my wife and I made a lot of friends with people were like, Oh, it's cool. Like, so we've got a lot, a lot of artistic friends and creative friends and some oddball friends. And, um, a couple of those guys, uh, you know, I just had a conversation with one day, like, it, um, I started a studio called touch fight games with basically two brothers that live in town. And, uh, the older brother is, was, was at the time a bartender, um, who also was an author. He's, he's actually publishing his first children's book and he's been writing lots of different other things. And, uh, he's also a great, like hand drawn artist. So he does lots of creative stuff and we jammed for a while in like a band for a bit. So like that was kind of how I got connected with, uh, some some folks and then his brother also uh i had seen him here and there but he was also working on game maker projects like oh i'm like hey instantly somebody in a very small town other than me that has an interest in games that actually is like you know coding and doing stuff so like my, that kind of pinged up my radar like hmm okay so there's people i know in town that are like into this stuff which is rare when you live in like rural middle of nowhere it's like sure. everything else is on the internet yeah so we we're like oh one day let's just you know hey let's do a project let's mess around or whatever let's make a game type thing and that quickly turned into like okay well let's make this specific game and then it was like okay well how do we how do we make like i don't want to do anything like half cocked like i if i'm gonna do something i want to go all in and make it a thing so if you want to release your game and sell it you kind of if you're not just an individual person doing it as a sole proprietorship you pretty much have to have like a studio to get things like to be on apple you have to have an you know well if you're not doing it as an individual but like oftentimes to get your game on a platform you either have to be like doing it solo or doing it um, as an LLC or, or a company, essentially. So we're like, well, if we're going to make a game and it's going to be a thing, let's just make a company and tr- see how it goes. You know, like whatever. That'll, that'll give us access to things, some of the platform type things we need. Uh, you know, having a ent- business entity makes it a little bit easier. I mean, certainly there's expenses and things that challenges that come with running a business. But we're like, let's try doing it legit and see what happens. Because even though we're all doing different things, we all also shared that kind of passion of like, we're doing things that aren't necessarily what we want to be doing forever. So like, let's see if we can do this fun thing that maybe could make some money and also let us do something cool at the same time. And that's how I ended up accidentally starting an indie studio, uh, which is touch by games. <laughs> and we, we put out our first game, which was basically like kind of a spooky hand drawn kind of mobile type game that didn't really do very well, but it was very kind of distinct and interesting. Uh, and we're about to put out um, very for in the next like six months or so, we're hoping to finish up development of uh, a game we're working on called Nuclear Golf, which is going to be on PlayStation 4 and Vita and eventually on lots of other devices and doodads. So that's how, like, I accidentally got into game development. But the next level from that is, 
you know, uh, being someone who's very used to working independently and very self-motivated and very driven, um, whether I've been in bands playing, like, you know, doing stuff, like I've always had solo projects on the side of everything I've ever done that was like artistic. So um, pretty quickly into making games with touch fight games, which I didn't really, at that point, didn't know how to do much of anything. Like I was like, okay, well, I know marketing type stuff. I know some business stuff because I've been running my own business for a long time. Um, and I have some game design knowledge and interest, knowledge of the industry. So like that was kind of my initial role. It's like, well, we'll help, I'll help kind of design games, but I don't really know how to do much else uh, beyond like maybe a little bit of artwork, maybe a little bit of audio music stuff. And pretty soon it got to the point where I was actually like doing a lot of the coding and like learning through the process of like, okay, what do we do next? Um, let me figure it out and try to do it myself. So that led to me kind of actually starting to do my own prototypes and things on the side. Um, and since then has led to me doing like quite a few of my own work in progress solar projects that I'm feeling uh, increasingly more better about how they're coming together. And um, I put out, you know, one game so far, but I've got a bunch of other ones in the works. And um, it's, it's a weird when you kind of accidentally end up doing something that turns out to be really awesome. <laughs> also really challenging. <laughs> it's interesting. It's been a very like challenging couple years uh, and I've had lots of ups and downs. Like you know, the emotional toll that can come from like trying to create something and struggle to get out there and struggle to find that bit of success can be really uh, exhausting and demotivating sometimes. But on the upside, it's also been one of the most rewarding shifts I've ever made professionally or creatively. And uh, I, I found that kind of making games has been such a really um, a rewarding shift. Like initially, you know, it's like, oh, well, people kind of laugh. It's like, oh, well, there's so many different indie developers out there, so many studios, like whatever. Um, but if you're armed with sort of the information of like how to kind of make your games unique or just not care and just want to just, just do it and see what happens, like that also helps too. <laughs> um, but yeah, it can be hard to succeed, but it's like I, I feel motivated to keep pushing and based on sort of the personal progress I've been able to make over the past like a couple of years, I'm feeling optimistic. Also, real, you know, re, I'm not uh, unrealistic about the realities of making and launching a game and the challenge of, dis of, challenges of discovery and uh, all that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, congratulations on the studio um, and, and on your project. I'm excited to see what you guys come out with next. I think. Thanks. Yeah. It sounds like you're having a good time with it either way. Cool. <laughs> it's a process. Yeah. Well, yeah. Fair enough. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about this book is a dungeon. Uh, yeah, it's sure. a combination of both your writing passion and the gaming passion um, and the dev passion, you know, to an extent. Yeah. Um, will you tell just for those who don't know, what is this book is a dungeon? Sure. Uh, well, for starters, I, I just mentioned how I accidentally got into making a game studio. Uh, this book is edition was how I accidentally got into like solo making my own solo projects of games. Um, I kind of am a nerd for learning how to do new things. So, meanwhile, as I'm learning how to do like game maker, I wanted to kind of learn how to. Uh, I heard about Twine, and I got really interested in sort of like the possibilities of interactive fiction and merging writing which is something that i'm fairly good at i mean i, I, don't, I don't write a lot of fiction uh, but i've always had these like worlds and characters and things in my heads and themes that i've wanted to explore and i just can't couldn't really explore those in my nonfiction writing so um i was looking for an outlet to kind of channel that stuff and uh, learning how to use twine is pretty easy to do if you you're not very like super code knowledgeable at the time i wasn't so i was like okay let me see if I can do this thing. It'll be a pro it'll be like an experimental project. I love experimenting. It's let me see if I can take two months or three months or so to learn how to make, to learn how to use twine. Cause I didn't know anything about learning to use twine. Um, and then make a, a creepy like dungeon crawler, horror, awful demonic -y game with it. And then release all of that within like a three month period. Like just, 
start it, learn how to do it, build it, um, but also document the entire process along the way, which is kind of uh, the other aspect of it. So the experiment started off as, um, let me make a game, let me document the process of making it, and then let me release that game, not on Steam or anywhere that would make sense to initially, let me release it as a downloadable game inside a book that actually covers the entire in-depth process of what I went through making the game. So it's like a very meta, it's like a, um, it started off as, you know, a, uh, a game jams of sorts uh, with a game dev diary wrapped in the whole process. And then the game diary itself was sort of the vehicle for launching the game on a storefront, which was the Kindle storefront, because I've released seven or eight books on Kindle. Um, so that was something I wanted to experiment with between, you know, combining the worlds of making games and interactive storytelling with a platform, which is not really game centric, but like, let's see what happens when you bridge those gaps in the world between like self-publishing and game development. And um, so the, that's kind of was kind of the idea behind this weird experiment of like, let me make a game in a very short time frame. Let me see if I can do that. Let me learn how to use the tool I'm going to make it with because I had no clue how to use Twine at the time. Mm-hmm. Let me just take like day-to-day diary notes of like, here's my thought process. So the the book start, the book aspect it starts off like, here's here's the idea of what I'm trying to tackle with. Like, here's my thoughts going into it. And then it's from there, it just kind of goes... You know, every couple of days I spend the time as I'm making this game, like jotting down my thoughts and experiences and challenges and like design notes. And it's kind of the jumble of all this different stuff, but it's a very weird, interesting sort of experiment. The game itself, however, which is probably be more interest to actual like developer, listener, player folks, is sort of this uh, creepy interactive fiction dungeon crawler. Um, very much kind of a throwback to like Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, it's, you know, I, I, I've interested in twine games and I'm interested in interactive fiction, but I also, um, my biggest challenge with playing some of the, a lot of the earlier, uh, IF games was that there's not a lot of visual stuff there and I don't like reading just walls of text. So, um, I found ways to create like pixel art maps and, and, and set those up in my game so that, you know, when you're traveling, you're, you're selecting different areas to go through and different choices. Uh, and then it'll, it'll update the map based on where you are. And then I'll hide created little different pixel art things to pop up and like have characters and gory encounters and um so essentially it's a sort of dark creepy game that's very kind of um dark fantasy alternate worlds uh, has auto cannibalism um occult rituals blood feasting worms demonic seduction and demon summoning and uh very just sort of dark edgy rpg like stuff in this sort of creepy fantasy world uh all the good stuff to, sure yeah and it, this dark world that wants to kill you very often frequently <laughs> does um so that that's sort of what the game was it was sort of let me make a really dark weird game uh just to explore some interesting themes and see what i could do and then document the process and um working with black Soul media was great because i had put the game out on kindle and i was like hey cool and i sold you know i sold some initial copies and i was like cool that was worth doing i guess and um but then i was kind of thinking like all right well how, you know, how do i like that's great but how do i take this to the next level and do more with it like um, I never imagined that it would be, I mean, it's not easy to get on Steam, but it's fairly, you know, easier than I imagined it being. Um, I didn't design the game to be on Steam because it's, you know, done in Twine, and I honestly didn't even know if it would be that easy to create, like, a standalone executable, which wasn't easy, but I was able to do um, without my with my super non-coding knowledge. <laughs> Great. Um but yeah, so it's uh, getting the game onto Steam uh, with the help of, like, Black Show Media, and, and that's been really great because it sort of has helped me find that audience of people that like that weird, dark shit I was able to create. <laughs> Whereas, you know, the Kindle, Kindle people going to the Kindle storefront are going there for books. So maybe some people picked it up because they wanted to 
you know, be, we're curious about the project, but there wasn't a lot of like gamers on the Kindle store being like, hey, I want this because it has a game in it. It's sort of like, well, this is weird and interesting. I don't really know what to make of it. Uh, but on Steam, it's it's done, you know, it's a small niche game, but it's done pretty good. And uh, it's been really encouraging in that the success of that game on Steam uh, and the fact that people, you know, certainly it's not a perfect experience, but like people seem to generally have really fairly positive feedback on it. So that has pushed me to kind of explore deeper this sort of uh, sort of niche of dark, creepy, strange RPG-like games that I've been gravitating towards um, in my solo work that are also very sort of grim and narratively inclined, but also you know, trying to incorporate more gameplay, RPG mechanics, and card battling systems and things of that sort that I also am really interested in. Uh, so it's sort of helped me kind of chart my path through the next couple of games of like where I'm headed in different directions. All right. And we'll get to your next couple of games in, in just a second. But I guess that's a good disclaimer to put in there is that um, you actually did work with Blackshell Media uh, with This Book is a Dungeon. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, and this podcast is presented by Blackshell Media. <laughs> How convenient. Um, you're actually the first person who's come on the show who I believe has worked with Blackshell Media. Yeah. Um, so, you know, of course, Indie Insider is not directly affiliated with the publishing arm of the company. Um, rather, Blackshell Media, of course, puts out a lot of educational services and resources for... Um, you know, indie developers and gamers and artists and creative people. And uh, that's why I get to talk to Nathan and, um, and and have him on the show and have him tell his story. So uh, <laughs> I'm glad you had a good experience with Black Shell Media's publishing. It's great. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun so far. Cool. Well, you happen to be working with Black Shell Media again uh, yeah. for another upcoming project. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's not technically announced yet, so I can tell you, I can tell folks, give a little bit of detail, kind of where it's headed. Um, pretty quickly after this book is a dungeon launch on Steam, and I started to see what people thought of the game, and kind of was soaking up player feedback and like what people liked about the game, what they didn't like, and this and that. I got my gears turning in my brain. I'm thinking, you know, I wanted to do more with the game world, but I wasn't really. Um, I wanted to do it more in like a proper engine. So Twine is great for what it was, uh, but I pretty quickly wanted to figure out how do I do like this type of thing, but ramp it up to the next level and use Game Maker Studio to kind of build that out. Um, so I have more options in terms of like integrating things that people want on Steam and also, uh, you know, more systems-based goodie stuff and things that I, I personally would like more out of from a game. So um, I started tinkering right after the bat, right after like releasing, and I've been working over the course of the past year or two trying to put together these different engines to like figure out the sweet spot to to kind of get some of the feel and like explorative creepy narrative nature of this book is a dungeon but like rebuild it in kind of a new world with more uh gameplay elements and uh also building kind of off on that kind of dark horror vibe and um so the the next game that is sort of like it's not a direct sequel it's not directly tied into this book is a dungeon but is very much a spiritual successor uh and that's called death well um and it's this very strange mishmash. It's kind of like uh, in the game of this, or the world of this book is a dungeon. It's sort of this very dark, hellish, subterranean world. Um, Deathwell is a little bit more of a dark fantasy bent. So it's a little bit more uh, inspired by like the labyrinth and dark crystal um, and like legend. Like so, the sort of like somewhat creepy, strange, eerie puppeteery type <laughs> uh you know shows uh, movies but the, a little bit more fantasy um with that sort of horror element that i got a little bit grisly with in the actual uh, this book's engine so um it's it's sort of a different world but it's more i think it has more options to explore and um 
I'm not going to dig too much into the story and characters because that is sort of evolving. But essentially, um, you play as a um, the last uh, immortal in a in a dark realm of sort of uh, strange creatures and civilizations, uh, and it's it has the initially has sort of a post-apocalyptic type vibe to it there's like almost a little bit of a mad max feel um but that doesn't necessarily carry it through the whole game it's just sort of kicks things off um and without digging into the story that i'm still sort of building the idea is you're sort of exploring this world as you know this character who essentially can't die um and the fact that you're immortal really sort of um it makes you attractive to a lot of different types of characters for different reasons in terms of like how they can use you and, and manipulate you and do things. Um, so you're exploring and, uh, you know, ex going through this world on a sort of evolving quest that sort of comes to light uh, pr fairly quickly in the game. Um, but um, this whole game world with these strange creatures and different civilizations, like the currency of the world is blood and organs and body parts. And, and so things like so it's there's a strange juxtaposition between, you know, people living out their lives in these strange like colonies and strange uh, areas. But also, um, you know, instead of spending money, it's like, oh, we're going to spend some blood. And like there's like these death cults and things in the game. Um, it's that's sort of an all over the place description, but the essential idea is you're exploring this game world and interacting in a sort of interactive fiction type way. You're traveling on a map and um, you know interacting with people and getting uh, sort of the, in the same kind of flow as this book is a dungeon. But then you'll uncover these areas that are like these entrances to these dark underworlds, and to for, to actually gain entrance to these places, which tie into the sort of the story and campaign, you have to basically kill yourself in horrible ways to then be thrust into these dark, like alternate dimensions, uh, which become these sort of like almost roguelike type dungeons that you have to explore. And uh, and there will be certain obviously objectives to get through there, but like so within this sort of grim dark fantasy overworld, there's these very ultra dark, like super dark underworld dungeony sections that you kind of play through. Um, so. Across the game, there's going to be certain like survival elements and collectible type things, but um, the combat systems are entirely like, and I probably should have led this. This is like bearing the lead. It's it's like a card based combat system. So uh, okay, <laughs> so it has like RPG style combat, but you're using uh, different types of cards to like, um, you know, you have a deck of cards essentially, and it's not like it's not quite like Yu-Gi-Oh or like uh, you know t typical CCGs and trading card games. Um, it's a little bit more like alternative and usual, but you're basically, you know, getting cards and powering up attacks and powering up spells and abilities that you'll be able to unlock. And uh, you'll be have special cards that you can unlock and do different things with. So it's really, that was sort of a whole jumble, but it's a mix between like the interactive fiction kind of RPG type exploration and uh, discovery and kind of eeriness of this book is a dungeon with um, a bit of like survival crafting, uh, card-based combat and like RPG systems, and, and there'll be some sort of roguelike elements to the dungeon crawler stuff. But um, yeah, it's it's a sort of a different mishmash of things, but it's starting to come together, and I, I'm feeling pretty good about it. So it's going to be a ways off, I think, before it's ready, and it'll probably evolve a little bit. But uh, that's like the next sort of one of the bigger games I'm working on, um, and it's part of sort of like a bunch of different games I'm making that explore different facets of sort of the. Uh, grim, dark, occulty sort of aesthetic that I initially started to explore with uh, this book's a dungeon, and that's kind of the niche I've been trying to push into. And it's it's been a really good outlet for me to kind of dig into some stuff that I've always been into. I've always been into like heavy metal and like dark fantasy and weird stuff. So um, finding ways to incorporate that into storytelling and gameplay has been kind of exciting for me, just as a different different from what I'm typically doing on a day to day basis. You know, writing up uh, non fictiony type freelance work. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, sounds very family friendly, very kid friendly. It's good. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be super gross. I mean, no, I think <laughs> part of, I think it, like for me, like if I'm playing a game, I get you know obviously there's games that are just fun or they're casual, they're strategic, but like I like games that make me feel something or make me like you know have impact. So when I'm making games, I try to do that. Like I, I want to have you know players have some sort of reaction and you know like or like oh that's awful but i want to f- know what happens next or like whoa that's really messed up that's also pretty cool so like those kind of like strange <laughs> like i want people to walk, explore this world being like what the hell am i going to run into next like what is the next ridiculous horrible but equally fascinating can't look away type thing am i going to run into and some of the scenarios and sort of weird encounters um, that I've been cooking up for this uh, Deathwell, the sequel, spiritual successor to this book's edition, have been pr- are pretty grisly and just pretty strange. Um, so it, it's a little bit less straight up horror and more just like really grim atmosphere and strange, uh, peculiar characters like humans who have mutated with like technically like appendages coming out of different areas of their body um, that wear masks because they're so disfigured and uh, cult like, and then other types of more inhuman creatures that are roaming the world. Yeah, it's going to be weird. Uh, <laughs> very weird. Uh, so I hope that also makes it has like a good selling point because people who liked the original game ha- gave me a lot of feedback about sort of like the uh, tone and the writing and whatnot. And I'm trying to apply that uh, with some more mechanics and sort of a different different presentation, but like similar equal level of just strangeness. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it sounds like we're really getting, you know, into the mind of Nathan Minier and just a little bit of, <laughs> you know... Um, who you are, your aesthetic. I love it. I think it's all great. So thank you so much for telling us about the project. And uh, yeah, I I know a lot of people who loved this book as a dungeon. So I'm I'm excited to see what this one turns out like. Very cool. Yeah. Keep us posted when it, when it gets a little closer, we'll have you back on. You can tell us more about how it's turned out. Yeah. I'll have my, uh, my pitch (laughs) set. I'll have my, like, you know, my uh, elevator pitch down a little bit better about at that point. The spiel. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Which is an important, important thing. uh, Indie indie developers out there, like, you know, lock down, how you're going to talk about your games before you talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> I think you did fine. It was good. good. All right. I have three things I want to talk to you about. We're running short on time. Sure. So sure. Let's, let's, go let, through it. let's kick through them real quickly. Yep. Super easy question. Give me a little bit of your thoughts on the indie video game scene. You know, yeah. the, the, the scene has changed so much. Everything's digital now. There's so much, so many games out there available for people. What do you make of all this? What do you think? Yeah, like, well, being someone who covered sort of the beginning of, like, the indie boom, I think it was what, back 2009, 2010 or whatever, I think. Maybe, I mean, there's always been indie games in different flavors, but, like, seeing stuff like that, sort of like that Meat Boy, Braid era of when things really started to pick up, mm-hmm. really exciting. And it was, you know, back then it was a little bit easier, I think, to to get your game discovered and whatnot. Um, you know, it, it, on some level, it's there's so many games out now and that's i think that's one of the biggest challenges that indie developers face is that um there's so many games out and other people making cool stuff that people who want to find an interesting game you don't have to look far to do it so um you know discoverability is not easy unless you have you know a channel to directly uh you know approach people that are your target audience or, or ideal player through or um it's so much harder to kind of get your game out there which is why it's helpful to have um, strategies and, and services and whatnot that are just built to kind of do that. Um, but at the same time, like that, all that variety has been really exciting to me as like a player and developer because it gives me an opportunity to experience and create things that w- may not have been marketable or sellable at all like five, ten years ago. 
Um, so like there's more opportunities in terms of platforms to get your games on. I mean, uh, iOS initially before it got so <laughs> overwhelmed with like, you know, apps, yep. um, you know, steam is a great, a great, you know, it's again, a huge marketplace, but like there's, you, I can go on steam and, and type in a couple search things and know that I'm going to find some really interesting, really unusual games that don't fit the typical stuff you would expect to see on like a major platform. Uh, and that's been like one of the most exciting things for me because I've always been interested in those quirky offbeat games. Like um, I go to sites like kill screen every day and um, where else do I go? Oh, I don't know. Gamma Sutra and whatnot and see like, what are, uh, what are the places that cover like the weirdest, strangest, most interesting games that are not the everyday thing you see. Um, and there's so much great, interesting, weird stuff out there that it's really like that's that's been the most exciting thing for me to be able to like play those games and be inspired by those games and then have a way to make my games and know that there's people out there that are interested in different niches. So um, I think there's definitely a lot more broader range of niches than, oh, first person shooter. or Oh, it's a simulation game. It's mm -hmm. like now there's like all kinds of subcategories of games. And it's great because it's like people who want to play a very specific kind of game you know where to find those people oftentimes, or you can find out where to find those people. And uh, if you're, you know, especially if you're a fan of that genre, it's easier to kind of um, find a way to make your game stand out and to find the right people to market to or to uh, connect with as, you know, players. Um, so that's really exciting. And I think, yeah, it's super hard to get a game out, just like anything else, though. I mean, talking like being an author and putting books out on the Kindle store, it's the same issue. Uh, you know, there's so much. In fact, the Kindle marketplace is so much bigger than Steam. It's even like five times harder to f get your book out there sure um, yeah even though the platforms are kind of similar in terms of like the different algorithms and systems they have in place to market and promote games so um you know it's always a challenge but it's really not different whether you're talking about games or whether you're talking about uh books or you're talking about other digital media uh you know which are very much driven by like fans and audiences and whatnot so we're recording this on the release day of the PlayStation VR. It's sitting in its beautiful box out in my living room right now. <laughs> nice. What do you think of virtual reality? Oh, man, it's so tough. I am <laughs> one of those people that don't, I'm not, I don't, it's not that I don't buy it. I don't think, I, I just, it doesn't excite me. It's tough because like the idea and, and some of the things I've seen are really interesting. Like it's a really great platform to experiment and do different things. But I see a lot of people just jumping ship to be like, okay, VR, awesome, without necessarily having that market proven yet. Like, it hasn't evolved to the point where it's like, you know, if you're going to dive into VR, it's a little bit risky, uh, although you can, at this point, you know, venture capital and whatnot. Um, the games, there's, I mean, like, the, well, what the hell is that name, the game called? Like, uh, Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes or something? Oh, yep. I don't know, right? yeah. That's not I'm sure it's the right title. Like, that is something, like, yes, that's a game you can play not on VR, but, like, that's an example of something really just, weird and wacky and crazy that is made kind of possible by the platform um man i i think some of the, the the thing about vr is like i'm very excited about the kinds of games that are being made through and for vr but i'm also really excited that a lot of those games are also available not on vr <laughs> like i just bought thumper the other day and like huge fan of oh uh, yeah a band, a band called lightning bolt which is like super loud crazy band and uh, the bass player from that band is one of the two people that made thumper uh so as you can expect if you are any familiar at all with the band lightning bolt like the game is very audio driven and very kind of uh well it's described as a rhythm violence game so it's very like in your face aggressive audio wise and that makes it so interesting um there's you know thumper i'm trying to think what else there's another game that i haven't 
oh gosh, it's like a horror type game that just came out like today, I think. Um, I can't think of the name of the game. But anyway, it's a VR game, but you can also play it elsewhere. So um, I, I, I spend a lot of my time staring at a computer screen. And I probably spend like at least uh, 12 plus hours a day in front of a computer or staring at a gadget. So the idea for me of strapping a big screen to like right my eyeballs is not the most exciting thing personally. <laughs> I kind of would rather go and take a walk outside or like, take take some time away from the screen um that said if i had the opportunity to really just sit down and play vr i probably would love it um i just i i intend to be making you know 2d games and maybe eventually 3d games but like you know i'm, I'm gonna stick with like traditional game development for a long time uh oh i hear my dogs like eating each other that's great <laughs> um <laughs> My dogs are very, uh, my animals always love to make podcast guest appearances, but uh, that was good. It sounds like they're eating each other. Um, oh. But yeah, so VR is not something I'm like super fully on board with or excited about, but I see the value in it. It's kind of, it's interesting. It's kind of like, I'll see see what happens. Like, um, I just, I don't know. I, I'm pretty happy doing the kind of work I'm doing. So like for me as a developer, I don't really, I mean, I haven't even, I haven't even really transitioned to like 3D development, which is, I'm sticking with what I can do and with my limits and I know kind of where, <laughs> where my, where my borders are. And, uh, that's kind of mainly my, been my focus. So maybe someday VR will be, uh, exciting to me, but, uh, I, I like the games that are coming out for, I just not super like sold yet on strapping electronics to my body. No, <laughs> I'm trying I gotcha. to avoid, avoid the EMF. Just trying <laughs> to stick with, up. stick with actual reality as opposed to virtual reality for now. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, some days, some days you never know. Am I in a computer? Or is this yeah, real? Fair enough. <laughs> All right, really quickly, one sure. minute. You've already given a bunch of advice to the indie oh. devs out there and a bunch of you know great thoughts. Do you have any other advice you want to share, anything you can think of? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of things to talk about. I'll keep it super short, but like, um, and, I, and I'm guilty of this too. Like, a lot of people get into game making because they want to make the game they've always wanted to make, or they, they'll make games for themselves without necessarily thinking about ahead of time whether there's an audience for that, whether people are going to even buy your game or whatnot. And on a certain level, like that's cool to do because you can do experimental things and not give a crap and just do it. And that's really fun to do on a certain level. Um, but if you're, if you're trying to make money from game development, if you want to try to build towards, uh, you know, making that be sustainable in terms of like, uh, doing it as an ongoing basis financially, like you really have to put some thought into the types of games you're making, um, whether, whether there's an audience for them or not, and like how you can connect with that audience. But also like, if this is the type of game that your target audience like wants to play and beyond that, like how can you make your game stand out from all the other games that are like there? Like for me, I'm making RPG type games fairly often, but if I was just like, I'm making an RPG game that doesn't sound exciting at all until you and still talk about like, okay, I'm making an RPG game that has card battling and the world is, you know, a creepy dystopian world where people use blood as currency. Like that kind of stuff starts to get at the beginning of the iceberg of like, how can you make your game different and unique to the point where people will be more intrigued, um, you know, to, to press the buy button versus just like, Oh, that looks weird, whatever. Or it looks like every other game, like I tend to gravitate towards the games that are unique. So here's an example. There's a game that just came out this past week called uh, Be Glitched. And it's a match three type game. And it has some RPG elements and it's kind of cyberpunky. But it's it, it, but it mashes up like this cyberpunk world and tone with this bright pink candy coated look. And the juxtaposition of like you're in this sort of like hackery domain and doing like match through type stuff, but it's also like super cutesy and super over the top gushy. Like 
it, it's taking like it, it, you know two disparate things and smashing them together in a way that ends up being really interesting and unusual. Um, so you can look at it and be like, oh, it looks very you know casually, but it's really super not. Um, so things like that, you know, th- things like a game like Thumper, which is you know. Yes, it's a rhythm game, but if you're like, oh, it's a rhythm game, maybe you're thinking like it's Guitar Hero. It's a game where you're like a giant like cyborg beetle barreling down like a psychedelic death ride mm-hmm. roller coaster, slamming into things in the to the rhythm of this like creepy hell demon thing spitting notes, not notes, spitting like weird things at you. Like, it, like people have described the game as like terrifying and like disturb, like unsettling because like you strap out on your VR and you're just like barrage with this like industrial audio hellscape that you're barreling through. Like, yeah, I want to play that. Like, <laughs> it's like I don't have to think twice about it. Of course, I want to play that. Like, it's weird. It's different. It's not the same thing. So when people are like, I want to make the next, you know, StarCraft game, real time strategy. Like, that's cool. But like, and I'm sure there's plenty of people that would buy that game, but like, what can you do to ratchet it up in a different direction that people don't expect? Um, standing out is so important. Like there's another game. I'm just plugging games left and right. Cause I'm trying to think of good examples, but like, there's a game called really bad chess that just came out today. Oh yeah. I and, saw that. Yeah. Zach Gage, I think did it. And, I just downloaded it today, and, I, and I'm a big chess nerd. I grew up playing chess with my dad. I love strategy games like that. But like for me, just buying a chess game, it's kind of like, eh. But you end up, instead of the traditional chess pieces, you end up with a random sampling of whatever potential pieces. You could have, like, you know, four knights or, you know, two pawns and, like, five bishops and stuff. So, like, and it's all randomized. So, like, that's an example of, like, taking something that is expected and making it unexpected. Um and, and using that as a way to market and, and draw interest to your game. Like, that's huge. I don't think a lot of people think about that. Um, in some cases, you do want to just make the game that you feel inclined to make, and that's okay. But it's also really important to think about ways you can, you know, as a developer, stand out. Like, if you're just making a bunch of random games that don't have any kind of connection, sometimes that can work. Um, but for me, like, I've chosen to kind of pick a niche that fascinates me and explore the different ways i can dig into that in in unique ways um you know whether my games do well or not we'll see but like um the games that i see you know i'm most interested in personally are games that don't do the same thing 500 million times or if they take something that's very standard and generic they'll throw a weird spin on it that makes it immediately go oh well that's different and then it's like that you have to be able to to kind of pique players in interest in that way um you you can use your visual style but if your game you know sometimes visuals alone will do it sometimes visuals don't but like um, different aspects of your game, which from the mechanics, the visuals, the audio, like, and just to the, the themes you explore, like, making your game stand out in an interesting and unique way, um, so it doesn't look like every you know top-down zombie shooter, or you know, like you can you can take on generic type things and find a fun twist for them, um, or just go completely off the deep end and make something that people have never seen before. And if you can do that and do that well, it's going to really, really help your chances of getting. Uh, you know, improving your discoverability, getting, you know, press and interest in your games and like finding an audience. Like if people know you as the developer that makes these specific types of games that, you know, are interesting and unique and different and something they really enjoy, they're going to look forward to your next game and your next game and your next game. And that's like a really winning strategy to kind of build on versus just let's just make a game like X because it's popular. I mean, yeah, you know, it's like it, it definitely makes it's important to kind of stand out and do what you can to, um, you know, and, and this is actually like this in any industry where you're trying to sell a product or create artistic stuff. Like if you're writing a, a book, you, you don't necessarily want to just write, you know, okay, I'm going to write another sci-fi adventure. Like you want to find a way to put a spin on that. It's going to be interesting or appeal to a specific audience that wants 
something very specific, even if it is generic. Like if you can stand out and have a fan base or an audience base that wants a specific thing and deliver that and do it well, like it's going to increase your chances of success versus, um, you know, just trying to do whatever and not caring, you know, the other thing too, it's worth mentioning, um, is to, you know, really streamline, like people start off the games, like, I want to make this big epic thing. I do this all the time and I'm very badly like uh, prone to feature uh, creep and scope creep, but like, the, the tighter you can get your game idea and constrain it down and mechanics wise, just take your idea and just trim it down and trim it, trim it, trim it, trim it until it's very small and then start with that and then build that and get it tight. And then from there, decide what you're going to do. Like uh, if you start setting up this, setting out to build this epic, massive thing, uh, it very easily gets out of control. And that's why a lot of people don't finish their games. And that's why I have like, you know, several dozen prototypes and maybe over like four or five games that I'm actually like seriously making progress and focusing on <laughs> um, or two that are actually probably going to be out in the next like, you know, reasonable chunk of time. Like, uh, it's important to kind of scope as tightly as possible and then scope it down even tighter and, and work with that first than just saying, like, uh, if you let yourself run down the rabbit hole, like a lot of people do and like I even do sometimes, uh, it's very easy to, to get to the point where, like, you and take, bite off this big unwieldy piece of game that you're never going to be able to finish. Uh, and if you spend, you know, if you spend six years developing a game and release it and it does okay, well, that's still six years it took to make and six years worth of income you had to float to get through that. Whereas if you take six months or five months or three months to make a game like it took me three months to create this book as a dungeon it was a small very specifically niched game any sales at that point are like gravy it's like woo i guess you know it's like if you keep your your projects uh, tightly scoped make them unique and then you know keep them very kind of short and constrained dev cycles you can always build and expand or update down the road but like getting that getting to that finish line as quickly and as cleanly and solidly as possible is really important so i won't ramble on any longer <laughs> those are sort of like the two big things like make your game stand out and be unique uh you know and find that find that audience of people that wants that weird or interesting thing that you're making and then just don't you know uh, as quick make your games as fast and streamlined as possible before you start layering on more junk onto them uh and those are both things that i've you know i've i've done uh, right and wrong before so <laughs> uh, good lessons to learn and you know don't be afraid to experiment and learn from your mistakes and try something different and new next time. Fantastic advice from Nathan Minier. Thank you, Nathan, so much for coming on the show, giving us that kind of, uh, I, I got so much of your journalistic experience and video game dev experience, writing experience out of that advice. So, oh, uh, yeah. So thank you so much for sharing and, and coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Oh, it's been a lot of fun. I love podcasting. I love talking about shop things, nerd, nerdy stuff, video games, writing, all that good stuff. So, of course, you, audience, you've been listening to Indie Insider presented by Black Shell Media. Um, I talked about it a little earlier, but Black Shell Media, of course, indie publishing and marketing firm out there to help make developers uh, get their games out in front of uh, audiences and in front of people uh, and make those games great. Uh, of course, you can go to blackshellmedia.com or you can find Black Shell Media on Twitter at Black Shell Media. Uh, of course, I'm your host, Logan Schultz. If you want to be a part of the show, you have thoughts, you have questions, you want to get a hold of us, you want to recommend somebody for the show, email me, logan at blackshellmedia.com. Find me on Twitter at Logan A. Schultz. Nathan, if people want to follow you or follow your projects, how do they find you on those interwebs? Sure. Um, if you go to, if you want to check out This Book is a Dungeon, you can go to thisbookisadungeon.com, uh, and that will point you towards me and the project. Um, I'm on Twitter at n. M-E-U-N-I-E-R uh, I love connecting with people on Twitter and I uh, often will retweet lots of cool indie games and weird things that I, I like and, and things and also I do a lot of screenshot sharing and works in progress like what I'm working on so I 
haven't talked about a lot of my games, but if you want to see the weird things I'm kind of working on in progress, check me out on there. That's a good spot. Uh, but yeah, those are the best places to connect. Great. Nathan, thank you again. And of course, we will be back right here on next Monday, next week, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We'll see you then. I'm going to keep the dog in there too at the end. Yeah. It's perfect. The dog's tearing each other apart. So I think they're the loudest, rowdiest little beasts. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they play, so like, they play like, ah, like eating each other's faces off sounds. Uh, yeah. Oh, there's my guinea pigs. <laughs>